Welcome to Stories of COVID, the interview project that explores what it's like to experience a global pandemic. I never thought I would see this in my lifetime. It is scary and it's very real, but it's not hopeless. As I said, I changed three planes. None of them were wearing any gloves or masks. I've never seen so much support for freelancers or artists in the in the media um, as I have now. They both laid me off from just the advent of the, the outbreak. I'm anthropologist and author Veronica Kieran, and I am building an interview archive of stories and anecdotes that define this time in history to write a book preserving this experience for future generations. If you'd like to help preserve this moment in history for future generations, check out the show notes to sign up for an interview. Kaylee lives in Denver, Colorado, and was referred to the project by Cam Omlid from the last episode. She too works in the service industry as a live sound engineer. Her work has been drastically affected by the pandemic. And while some of the bars have tried to open and to host events again, they have been awkward and confusing In this touching episode, she describes having lost one of her community members due to the pandemic and expresses the frustration of having to balance personal safety and the safety of the community against financial safety and security. Probably at the beginning of the year, I had a coworker, one of the bartenders at one of my music venues was really freaked out about it. And we worked a lot together the couple months leading up to the shutdown. And we would like go to a bar after work and he would tell me all about it all the time. And uh, then there was that cruise ship that got, that they wouldn't let dock. And I remember that like freaked me out because I was like, it's kind of scary that they won't let people off this boat. But it also felt distant, like, well, it's stuck on this boat. It's not going to like affect us immediately. I guess it's kind of changed a couple of times. I mean, initially with the shutdown, there's just a lot of instant paranoia and, you know, just ridiculous things that now are like, yeah, that's not really necessary. Like we were very good. I mean, I'm still good about isolating if I did not have to go to the store or work, but we didn't leave for months unless we were getting groceries, but we would take it to the extent of like wearing gloves, which is, not really necessary, you know, and and now I'd say it's like still freaky, obviously, and there's a lot more cases and a lot more deaths, so that's scary, but just because it's been so long, that initial paranoia is kind of, it's not as scary, but especially because I've known a lot of people who've had it. I've also known one or two people that died, but for the most part, everybody I know has been relatively fine, so. Um, We're in code red. Um, I think we're at like 11% or maybe 15. I don't know. I haven't looked at the percentage in a little while. Um, So all of my jobs closed down for a second time because we can only have outdoor dining. 10% in retail businesses, I believe. So it's pretty strict and we might go even further and re-shut everything down pretty soon. Uh, Well working in live music, uh, and like, which is also like, I love my job. 
I went into that for a reason. Um, I play in a band as well. And we had just started playing shows literally right before it happened and had a bunch of stuff lined up for the summer, which was really exciting. Um, Cause I've been in different bands, but this was very new. Um, and you know, so that happened. All of my jobs got shut down and I work at mostly small venues maybe 300 cap as the largest, um, except for one, which is an outside one, which is huge, but I rarely do sound at that place. But so now all of the businesses I work for are owned by like couples. They're, they're little and they're very important to Denver, but like I work at a burlesque club that was already kind of up in the air before this happened. If they were gonna re-sign a five-year lease and you know, we, we don't know, like we've been shut down like three times the owner like I had gotten COVID recently and he used to have really bad cancer. So it was pretty scary, but he's actually fine. But, you know, so it's just kind of that worry of like, it's really annoying not to work. I mean, I'm fine with it. I want to keep people safe, but it sucks not to work. It's scary that um, these businesses that are very important to people and art and things in general, they a lot of them are probably going to go under by the time this is done. Because of my line of work, it hasn't really changed much for me because all the technology I generally use, I don't <laughs> now because I can't do it. And I mean, my roommate, um, she got switched to work from home. So she'll sit in our living room, tons of Zoom calls all day long, which I mean, it's cool. Like on Thanksgiving, we had a, I have a very large Irish Catholic family. Normally we have like a giant Thanksgiving, but we just had this very loud, awkward Zoom call where it was like 10 different people, not people, there were more than that, but 10 different like calls, you know, just, you can't hear anyone talking. <laughs> like it's almost pointless, but it's nice that it's there. It like at least makes my mom feel better. Yeah, most of it's the Zoom and FaceTime, that sort of thing is definitely a lot more prevalent in even my life. Um, I would say probably one of the more memorable moments was the, the neighborhood in Denver I lived in earlier in the summer. I still live in the same neighborhood, but I lived in a different house. And it was it was right when like the protests were really, really going. Like it just, everything felt super apocalyptic because of how close I was to the main streets. And even though I wasn't going to the protests, I mean, I supported them, but I, I wasn't going because I don't want to get hit in the face with tear gas, really. <laughs> um, but the tear gassing was so bad for four days that like my nose was bleeding in my house. And the um, they had four helicopters that were just constantly circling my neighborhood, looking for people and shining like like spotlights into our backyard and things like that. And I had just, it's weird, I started dating someone during quarantine and I was like towards the beginning. And there was one night he was over in, in my backyard because we didn't have people in our house and we were writing songs. We were just hanging out in the backyard, but like the the tear gas was bad. Like it was like burning both our throats just sitting in the backyard and there's helicopters and they had put an 8 p.m. curfew. So it was like middle of the summer, daylight, you're already afraid of this pandemic and don't want to be around people, don't want to let them in your house, but we didn't even have the option to go in my house to like try to get away from the tear gas. We were going to hang out because my roommates weren't okay with that. And then it's like, 
I walk him halfway home and are like, because it's like, you gotta go, you gotta be inside by eight. The cops are like patrolling and there were weird, um, I don't even know where they were. There were speakers around that would tell you there was a curfew and that you needed to get in your house. It was just like, like I said, very apocalyptic feeling. Like it's like the coming together of the paranoid because that was probably in, I want to say June, maybe, yeah, like late June. Um, so months of being in quarantine and being super strict about it and being really scared and not wanting people around or being in your house. And then on top of that, adding like, just hearing the rubber bullets going off constantly and like the tear gas, the the weird speakers telling you to get inside. It was just crazy. My mom is getting over it right now. My mom lives about an hour north of me and lives with her husband and like, I guess my stepbrother and my grandpa, they all live together. And I was pretty worried about her and my grandpa because she's had three strokes in the past before this and she's on blood thinners for the rest of her life. And, you know, there's been weird things with blood and obviously with the sickness. And my grandpa's like 84, but they both seem to be getting over it. I called her one day and she sounded awful. Like I thought I had just woken her up and she's like, no, I just can't stay awake, but I'm trying to. Um, and then other than that, one of my sisters, like her entire family got it. So it was like, except my, her youngest daughter, which was weird. Her whole family had it and her youngest daughter didn't. So like it was my brother-in-law, my nephew, two of my nieces and her. Similar, like they had a couple days that were really bad and then they were, they were fine at this point. Um, but I was working at this, there's this restaurant that does live sound every night here generally and I just sub in, I'm not one of their main people, but I've worked there for a few years. And right before the shutdown, I worked there and there was this man, he's a very adorable older Hispanic man, who's very sweet and he died, I think like the second week of the shutdown, but that's the only one I know really who died. And whenever I'd come in, he'd always be like, Mia, where have you been? Like, you're my favorite, you know, like, and he, and the weird thing was, cause I'm pretty sure I had it when, or I was working there when he was contagious, but didn't know yet. Cause he died so quickly. And every time I would see him like multiple times in a night, he would like, when I got there, he'd give me a big hug and like big hug before I leave, I left. And I was like a little surprised that I didn't get it from him because I was definitely in like very close quarters and definitely like hugging and helping him move tables and things like that. So I was like, well, I mean, I guess I'm kind of lucky I haven't gotten it yet because we reopened for a while and did live shows, which were really weird. And so I've been, as far as I know, knock on wood, I don't have it, but we've been shut down again for like two weeks. But even though they were limited capacity or, uh, shows, I was still around a ton of people because you flip them out and you get different crowds in there for the same band. When we could do it, like I said, I work at smaller clubs and you you have these super hard restrictions and they have to treat it like um, like they're eating at a restaurant. So these like small music venues that had never had tables in them really, now had all these circular tables and you're like, people have to sit down and they can't dance. The performers had to wear masks and they had to be very far away from them. And like, yeah, even the singers had to wear masks uh, because they, we didn't have enough space for them to be 25 feet away, which was the other restriction. The first show I worked back, we weren't allowed to have horns, technically, 
So we put them in a different part of the building where people weren't, and there was a live stream of the horns playing with the band. Like it was just, it was very odd. It was kind, it was interesting. And um, if the tables were full, it felt kind of more normal, but it seemed very, I would have been weirded out performing at these shows. Cause, and then it was weird. Cause there was like a time or two where somebody would stand up and try to dance and I have to go tell somebody they can't dance at a show, which I'm not trying to be a buzzkill. I play in bands, I love shows, and they look at you like you're like insane and like you're, I don't know, like you hate them. And you're like, no, I just want to keep this business open that can barely be open. I had to tell a singer he couldn't jump off the stage. And like the singer, like the people in the bands for the most part have been very accommodating and like are like, they're just grateful that they got to play to a crowd but things I would have never, ever considered, like being like, no, you can't get in the crowd and sing to someone. You have to stay like 20 feet away from everyone. Oh yeah, and the first show I worked, so the way we did pretty much all of them was that the it would be the same band and they'd play two sets of an hour each and we'd flip the crowd out so we could try to get enough people and tickets to like be worth having a show. And the first show I worked, the, they were great, but the guy obviously had a mask on and he was just dancing and playing guitar and singing so hard that after his first set, he ran out the back door and puked and just looked like the whole time like he was gonna pass out because he was just like, when he would breathe in, his mask would get stuck in his mouth, but he'd be playing guitar and not be able to like pull it out. And so I had to like come out and be like, are you okay? Are you gonna be able to play the next show? But luckily, I mean, he, he was really good about it and was not upset at all. He's like, no, no, I've just been, you know, that was really hard. I've never had to do that before. And I'm like, yeah, of course you, like, why would you perform with a mask on? <laughs> like, unless you're Slipknot. Kind of more selfish and, but not selfish. Culturally, it's just, I really hope that the government will help these venues. Um, I work for a guy who's the like head of the Colorado chapter of NIVA, which is the National Independent Venue Association. He's been trying really hard to, to get some aid for these clubs because it's, it's just important, I, is my main takeaway. Thank you for listening. Subscribe so that you don't miss an interview. I interview multiple people a week and I am releasing these episodes as fast as I can. And if this story meant something to you, share it, because it will probably mean something to someone else. Every time you share the project, it helps the project grow. So thank you. Until next time, stay safe, stay well.